Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, Nerdapalooza, the world's largest nerd music festival, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hi, I'm Jason Aaron. I write Thor, God of Thunder, and other books about dudes with big hammers, and you're listening to The Nerdy Show. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Hex. Hey, I'm Doug. I'm Kristen. I'm John. And I'm Kay. Welcome to a Nerdy Show Microsode. It's actually going to be a full-sized episode, but it was a Microsode that got us here, and that's the kind of random crazy chance that can happen if you suggest a topic for a Nerdy Show Microsode. And what you just heard coming in was our brand new theme song composed by NY Tune Saloon. We debuted it on Nerdy Show Live and that's what you're going to be hearing, introing all of our shows. Nerdy Show is a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. And today we're going to talk about steampunk. This episode's requested by Kevin Wise. And Kevin, you are in luck, sir. It's not very often that we get to do a microsode where a Nerdy Show fan requests a topic because they have generously supported us and pushed us over $100 mark. But you, you request a topic. And coincidentally, we found ourselves in a position to do a pretty high-profile interview. You rolled a 20 on this steam-powered dice. Yes. (laughs) Yes, you did. (laughs) So in this episode, we're not just going to be talking about steampunk. We're also going to be talking with Matthew James Daly, Trevor Crafts, and notable actor and Tron... Bruce Boxleitner. Well, we're talking to Tron? Well, I was talking to Tron. Oh. At San Diego Comic-Con. He's steam-powered? He is now. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> the reason we had we have these guys on this episode is that they are working on a television series called Lantern City, yes. which is to be the first major steampunk body of work in uh, television or film. Uh, details about it and how it will actually appear in, in reality with actors moving around and sets and everything, they're, they're vague yet, but they've actually started a internet campaign where they are fan sourcing working with the steampunk community to make the ultimate steampunk experience oh damn Hmm. that's pretty awesome it's very very unusual so i talked to these guys and found out what it was all about and how bruce boxleitner fits into the equation so first let's lay the groundwork a little bit let's talk about the genre of steampunk i don't think any of us here are avidly involved in the culture itself avidly no but i have uh, a lot of friends who are very deep in it steampunkers yeah, they dress up and they go to conventions and and it's always an aesthetic that I've admired. It's just not something that I've ever dressed up for. It's interesting seeing steampunk grow over time. I saw it 
start. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Victorian machinery and and all that. That's really cool. And then it became this thing that was very comparable to Renfest level of obsession. Yeah. Um, except that maybe even more so because Rennies are all about going to Renfest. And that's typically unless they're LARPing when they're in their costumes and everything. But steampunk fans, they don't necessarily have that outlet. So any convention is their time to wear the garb and the goggles and the monocles and spats and whatever else. Well, it also seems to me that Renaissance Fairs versus steampunk, at least with steampunk, you have a lot of creative freedom to just make up anything you want. That's true. Because like if Renaissance Fair, you can't make, I invented a Renaissance gun. You know, at (laughs) steampunk, I've seen a couple things at different conventions where they knocked off weapons and stuff from Ghostbusters. They knocked off things from other science fiction stories but just the steampunk version and they're all equally valid you have to think too that there are a lot of different versions of steampunk it's not necessarily there's like a bunch of different categories of it so you have like the victorian fantasy or the gaslight fantasy cattle punk you have like a wide vast Ooh, cattle punk selection. is selection i've never heard, heard that yeah. i have no idea what that i know, is. I know victorian, diesel punk like but... victorian futurism there's a bunch of different stuff you have like more of the futuristic setting with the still mm-hmm. steam powered machinery or you have the victorian setting that has the uh, beginnings of technology or that just haven't gotten to that point yet like the very jules verne and then you have more of the like i want to say firefly was kind of steampunky it had a tinge of steampunk definitely in the influence is is robots and cowboys cattle punk is that what cattle punk is that's what i'm thinking is it's very westerny a lot of more like american frontier based Wild Wild uh, West. Yeah, like you know Westerny. I, I think Wild Wild West, the, the movie, would actually be a perfect example since it's it got is, so much yeah. steam power in it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, because, the, his wheelchair is steam powered. Yeah. The spider is steam like, th- powered. This is a completely unironic like, yeah, assessment. I'm, on the, I'm, not, I'm not judging. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's, un- and, it's unfortunate, but, uh, but true. <laughs> I love that movie, though. <laughs> I really liked it. I like the aesthetic of it. I didn't care about the story or anything. I just really liked how it looked. You can that's, also think that that's the only thinker. nice thing anybody's ever said about it. Right. It's no, not, and, it's not and, untrue. And, 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 and an incredibly song. Good thing. <laughs> and then we have movies like Baron von Munchausen <sighs> and you have Time Bandits. A lot of the Terry Gilliam movies, uh, Brazil, is, they're still somewhat gas lampy steampunk he always has that that kind of punk motif because like you kind of had that i called it like junk punk for a little bit but i mean i would definitely say that 12 monkeys is junk punk yeah junk punk (laughs) and as we now sort of get into the whole punk debate right well and and, and actually 12 12 monkeys is um i like to think that like junk punk does fit in a way but 12 monkeys is also time travel cyberpunk well i just say junk punk because everything is just so like it feels like Like, yeah it's so slapped together so quickly and it just feels like the underground place is a junk pile. That's literally the future. <laughs> uh, are you guys aware of the, the forthcoming Terry Gilliam movie since we're on the topic and I never get to talk about Terry Gilliam? He's got a movie coming out called Zero Theorem. I've seen, seen the, the early trailer excited. for it. I think I saw a trailer for it and I was very <laughs> impressed and as usual had no idea what it was about by the end of it. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of people getting real excited all on top of each other. Well, it's other. Terry Gilliam. Of course we're going to get excited real quick. I just got the uh, Criterion Collection of Brazil the other day. Yes. So good. Uh, you know, that, all that's, uh, that's a straight up LaserDisc port. So you have uh, the, the, <laughs> the glory of LaserDisc to thank for that three disc edition. Wasn't LaserDisc steam powered at one point? I think it was. I think it may have been. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> it only makes sense no. that you'd be playing discs the size of Victrola's. 
So <laughs> tangent, we still need to watch the Street Fighter movie on Laserdisc. Hey, give it time, man. It'll happen. <laughs> Laserdisc ain't going nowhere. That format's staying around forever. <laughs> Something we should mention is that years ago, like season early season three nerdy show back when we had seasons, I don't even what year, maybe oh, two, yeah, 2010. Yeah, the interview with Dr. Steele. Yeah, we we had an episode called Nevermind the Gearbox where we talked for an entire episode about at least I think we did. I honestly don't Different Realms of Punk. Barely remember what happened, but yeah, different realms of punk. Steampunk, diesel punk, and we interviewed Dr. Steele about, um, uh, well, being a, a mad scientist who makes mechanical things. An army of toys. Yes. So we'll link to that oldie, but hopefully a goodie. <laughs> <laughs> so steampunk has just grown over the years, just absolutely grown. I mean, on the convention bingo, I don't remember the last time I looked at a convention bingo sheet, but certainly if you want to get drunk real quick, put steampunk costume on there, you'll, <laughs> you'll knock it off. And I don't know, I guess convention bingo doesn't necessarily involve drinking. I just imagine it does. But basically, <laughs> steampunk is a staple. Steampunk is a staple of a certain corner of nerd culture, and it's spread out into everything. And it, every many stories across pop culture have tinges of steampunk. There have been X-Men stories in alternate realities with steampunk. I think Warren Ellis did that, actually, was one of his uh, X-Men Ignition stories. Ignition City? Wait, no, not with... No, Ignition I'm sorry. I'm City... I'm something completely different. Excuse me. Ignition um, City was space punk, but there was the... Um... Specifically diesel punk, but with space? I don't know. Anyway... I the, wouldn't the, say the diesel punk, but the there was the... categories um, don't really matter. Captain Captain Spring? What was that? Oh, uh, Spring Hill Jack, but it wasn't called Spring Hill Jack. Captain Swing is Cap- what it was called. I, yes. Um, I loved it. And it was very electric punk, where it's just like... Electro, like... Just Tesla coils and stuff? Yeah, like the same era, time era, except instead of using everything with steam-powered, it's all using, like, very Tesla-centric, like, electricity. And so Captain Swing is very, like, I guess, Tesla punk. So is really the only difference between steampunk and diesel punk just one steam power, the other is like gasoline diesel power? Bioshock is what I would pitch as being diesel punk. It's like time period. I wouldn't say Bioshock. Really. Like, there's yeah, actually entire blogs about diesel punk aesthetic. It's all stuff from like, you know, World War One, World War Two, right. like... You know, where a steampunk basically goes it's from, Victorian you know, frankly, like the okay. Industrial Revolution style aesthetic. Okay, know? okay. So it's more this about... Is more like polished airplane, you know, like the aluminum fuselage, that kind of stuff. It's more about the time period that it lives from as opposed to what's powering the machine. Right. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. it's also that, that... Nobody cares about, you know, technology really that much, right? Like, it's all like <laughs> the, the mentality, the morals, the ethics of the time period, you know, like, oh, yeah. But it's oh, also gonna... that that power source was kind of like the blood of that era. Right. Okay. Right. And so but, that's but why they're course, tied everything together. Everything that goes along with it, right? They're trying to figure out what defines it from a guy who's on the outside. How do you, how do how will I be able to look at something and say but that is a good that's question? Definitely, like, that's that's steampunk. Like, that's diesel punk. That's cyber. I know what cyberpunk. There's is, cyberpunk. But. There's diesel punk. There's steampunk. There's all these punks. There isn't really anything before Victorian England that I can think because it's probably uncomfortable because it's slave punk. That's no one <laughs> wants to do that. <laughs> I think another major element here is that all these things are technological artifacts of times lost basically, that mm. are then, you know, integrated it, into more modern settings so that we can, like, relate to it. I'm playing around it's with weird. alternative futures. You hit before the technological era begins and when industry starts and everything and you get to just sort of heightened medieval fantasy, maybe medieval it, fantasy it with really guns, is you know, remix like culture, fable you know, three, I mean, fan fiction of fan fiction kind of thing. Uh, a serious question, though, if Wild Wild West is like 
unofficially steampunk. That's like one of the bigger things. What are some of the bigger things in video games? Like we mentioned Bioshock as being like diesel, maybe steampunk. I don't think Bioshock is that steampunk. I would think more. Well, I'd put it under diesel punk where it's like definitely a echo. Uh, it's like the right era, the, like, the you know, record players or other like the tapes and all that kind of stuff that they had. So any, anything for a layman like me to be like, what can I look at and gen- like the general widespread media and be like, oh, so that's what you call steampunk. Is there a steampunk? Dishonored. Wow. Dishonored? Of That's, course. Uh-huh. Yeah, yep, no, Dishonored's totally there. Steampunk's really a lot about clockwork mechanisms. The like, gear is like pretty a, much like, like, like its symbol. Mist? Hmm. Uh, mist is Maybe bordering. elements. Because mist is definitely one of those, like, like you were talking about remixes, where it's like mm-hmm. a little piece from here, a little piece from there. Mm. You could certainly squish mist into that, but mist doesn't have uh, many of the pillars it's needed to like really... not like pure steampunk, it's yeah. just like elements of what... It, well, it's also a puzzle game, so it's also supposed to be a confusing. Big thing, <laughs> a big thing in, in steampunk seems to be airships. Hmm. Plenty oh, of anime course, got that. Of course, the other facet, air power. Is that so one of the great failed technologies? So, is there a lot of anime that's steampunk then? Because I've seen like yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, like Steamboy and Steamboy's so good. Ugh, really shocked at how good it was. But yeah, Steamboy's definitely on that list. Or his best friend Bob refers to it thermodynamics. Lad, what about uh, I saw Howl's Moving Castle. Everything in there seemed to run on steam. Yeah, but there's also like heavy amounts of magic. So that's it's like, like that's like cauldron punk. That now has cauldron, a trademark nerdy shit. show after it. Cauldron punk. So wait, is Glampire cauldron punk? Uh, he is now. I think he is. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know about that. This magic. I don't know. I like it. Now, how can we wrap all this around to Pirates of Blackwater? Pirates of Darkwater. Okay, that, that, that one. That's that's what I was talking about. That that medieval fantasy mashup stuff that predates industry. It just falls all into the, the fantasy realm. Like that's that's all it gets. Hmm. But there's actually a uh, comic called Lady Mechanica, but it's put out by Aspen. That's steampunk. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I met the guy who draws it. He's a very good artist and a really awful drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know him personally, but I like his art. Yeah, he, he's he's a very talented artist. There's a video online of him uh, called Steam Drunk. <laughs> well, it was uh last year two years ago that that remake of the three musketeers that was like totally steampunked out oh just the musketeer yeah something like that I it didn't... looked miserable it was very steampunky and had a lot of airships i think that like the wild arms series is pretty steampunky but it's more western futuristic less steam I guess the, the conclusion we're reaching is that steampunk, you know it when you see it, but you can't really describe it. Clockwork shit, airships, maybe guns that shoot electricity. But, Lots but suddenly, of goggles. But, but suddenly, yeah, goggles. But like suddenly, if I were to say, all right, well, I'm throwing in magic in there, then it's like, well, uh, that doesn't really fit. And vi- then Victorian industrial fantasy. Well, you think that like uh, a lot of the Cthulhu mythos and stuff fits in well with the steampunk ideology, and it's kind of magic y. Mm-hmm. They, they, walk, they walk close to each other because of the, the era that they're spawned from. But once again, steampunk, the kind of like main steampunk mentality seems to be triumphing ingenuity and technology while looking stylish, while looking stylish, while like Lovecraftian based media. Because I is, always assume the Lovecraftian mythos was very hand in hand with the steampunk. Well, Lovecraft was more like the 1920s as opposed to like the 1800s. Boring. I mean, there is stuff there, but most of it took place in a slightly more contemporary setting. Anyway, it's high time we cut to a track. So what do you got for us, Hex? Actually, what I have is a track from Professor Elemental. 
Okay. The, That's a different uh, professor. Chip hop. No, no. Chap hop rapper. Chap hop. Chap hop. Oh my God. This track is called Steam Powered. We are inundated by subgenres. <laughs> <laughs> but he's basically the closest thing you have to a steampunk rapper. Because he is a he is a gentleman rhymer. Okay, gentleman rhymer sounds pretty badass. I mean, there's I like also Mister B that, who claims he's the gentleman rhymer, and uh, he's also pretty amazing. Has a wicked uh, mustache and plays a ukulele. Will the listeners be the judge of that? They actually have a beef because they're oh, oh shit, <laughs> and they duel. <laughs> Well, and actually, that's a good... I'm glad you brought it up, since we're talking about Victorian England before yep. we cut to a track. That was a bit of a segue uh, for you. Thank you You're very welcome. much, Hex. Um, a, a good close friend of ours has a Kickstarter going on right now called A Duel Betwixt Us, which is a two-player card game of gentlemanly wit, in which you, as a aristocratic mustache twirler, will um, enlist the help of miners to mine ingots of gold, copper, and silver for you, so you can build weapons to smite your other gentlemanly opponent with whom you have a great disagreement of some kind and win the hand of a lady's favor. Yes. Um, anyhow, that's I'm really on, excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> that's on Kickstarter right now. Uh, we played a demo of it during Nerdy Show Live, Brandon and I, and uh, it's completely funded. So if you want a copy of the game, now is the chance to strike and there's all kinds of stuff that will be available exclusively in the Kickstarter before it goes to the stores. Not to mention you get it first. Marvelous. Anyway, uh, we're going to cut to that uh, chap hop fellow and when we get back... We're going to be talking with uh, Matthew James Daly, Trevor Crafts, and Bruce Boxleitner, the guys behind Lantern City. So you'd like to know about steampunk, would you, Jennifer? I suppose I can teach you a thing or two. Yeah. Steam and grass, and all you need to start is tea in a flask. Sharp set of gears in a gleaming arc, and a sky race heaving, screaming past. If you're all about reaching far, seeking the past on secret charts, meeting in secret beneath the stars with a decent mask and a good moustache. If you're really part of an army, marching arm for starting a party, a set of weapons so wondrous, and a specially constructed blunderbuss, so thunderous, but don't come too fast, got a wanderlust, and you're one of us. We bump steampunk, need one of these jump freak powered free fun, here come the yeah, steampunks. Some obsolete technology for this and slot machines And you wanna follow me up on our odyssey To the bottom of the sea, to the underwater colony Where we dock and the airlocks release A mahogany lobby leads off into the property Watch, you see the monstrosities of the deep Deep to the window that we walk beneath If you wish to see a little piece of history Back in 2053, this would be Italy Streets glittering prettily, just like a Christmas tree And to the heat rose six degrees Now we're living in the middle of the drifting sea Using industries of antiquity By which I mean wave energy, solar wind and steam and back in time, covered in soot and factory grime. All other groups to the back of the line. We are the future, in fact, divine. Gleaming machinery seem to be reckoned with every single member. Excellent gentlemen, seen with a seamstress leading a steamship in between tea sips. People need this because we're taking care of our crew like we do our facial hair. Being made aware, we're making improvements. Don't call it a scene, it's more of a movement, more of an era clearing the air. Taking over and nearly there. Pirates, ladies, vagrants, fiends, welcome on and all to the age of steam. Hey guys, it's Cap and Trevor Crafts and Matthew James Daly and Bruce Boxleitner. And we're here to talk about Lantern City and the companion book Rise. Lantern City is a concept for a forthcoming television show that's steampunk themed. Really sizable project by the looks of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> by all um, means, yes it is. And and you guys have just released Rise, which the is prequel, the prequel novel, yeah. Yeah, and it's an it's an illustrated novel. It is indeed. That means a book with occasional pictures rather than say a graphic novel or is it somewhere exactly. in between? 
No, you're 100% right. It's got 26 full-plate uh, illustrations, plate. and essentially it's an illustrated novel that has artwork from multiple different individuals, almost like an anthology, but it's all on the same subject matter, which is the creation of Lantern City. Lantern City is a steampunk metropolis. Megatropolis. Is mega. Mega. Yeah. 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 It's uh, considered a megatropolis. This is essentially five cities that have to combine into one and it is a world almost more than just a city so it's huge that's why i sort of create the, i don't know if i create the term it's what i use it's i know it's not a word because it always goes to red when i type it into microsoft Word. <laughs> but it, i call it a megatropolis yes megatropolis and it's walled in okay most awesome looking wall so to protect it from the outside world or well, let's, uh, good question that's, that's up to you as the audience okay but, uh, i personally tend to look at the wonderful plate that we have of it the wonderful yeah. painting that we have of it. uh we're not keeping something out who are we keeping in yeah okay you know? And that's the that's the interesting part about the story of Lantern City, the television series, very much like uh, Matt often says that it's like a gritty steampunk version of The Wire. So there's characters upon characters. There's multiple different stratas of society, and um, you know it really creates a very dynamic world with multiple different characters that are all intersecting with each other on lots of different levels. The TV show is really a character-driven show. You know, we feel like the steampunk fans will really get involved and get behind it, but it's people that just like episodic television. Which is very, very popular right now. With yeah. Game of Thrones, uh, Boardwalk Empire, these type of things. That's how, how high we want to shoot with this. What's striking about this project is that you guys have launched this website, you've got all this incredible concept art that looks well beyond the scope of what I'm used to seeing in television. Yeah. And you also have this dialogue with the fans going on, the whole steampunk fan community. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of blown away by this very different approach to creating a television series there's no confirmed network there's no dates maybe speculatively 2014 i've seen on mm-hmm. imdb but i think 2014 is going to be our year but you know you, you've got to think that way <laughs> i think that now you know just what yesterday uh, house of cards is nominated for an emmy multiple emmys and that's i think a, an interesting cue i mean it is. here's a in all reality an internet-based program that has just gotten an emmy nomination and multiples and that i think is really sort of a new trend of how media is just changing in a massive way. Oh, yeah. New models every other day, it seems like. Our sort of transmedia <laughs> approach to Lantern City is really at the core of, we're trying to hit right in the dead center of this new approach because you've got great character story, but we're also looking at it from the fans. I mean, a show like Firefly, which was such a great show, people are still talking about it today. Mm-hmm. And Firefly, one season. One season. Okay, <laughs> as possible. But right. it's still barely, barely one season. baffles me. I loved it when I saw it. But, and then why did it not go any further? Because well, it didn't have the ratings. Exactly, but now, exactly. if it was on now, right. it would be a totally different story. Because these shows, like even a show like Community, which has a very low rating share, has a huge online following. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to look at it from building a structural base first so that we know it will be successful as opposed to trying to just hope that people will watch it. We know people will watch it. Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, as they've a, expressed that. They've expressed that already. They're yeah. Like, I can't wait. It's, <laughs> it's, it's frustrating. I wish we could bring it sooner, but it takes, you know, it, it's a lot of work to try to make a project. Like Certainly. This. Yeah, one of the things that we always want to do is make it almost impossible for someone to say to no. Mm-hmm. Because when you have all these followers on Facebook, all these followers on Twitter, plus all of this community support and conventions like this, plus a great product, how could you say no to that? Especially when you can take great risks on something like House of Cards, which was a very expensive show, 
wasn't a guarantee, and now what, 13 Emmy nominations or something like that? I think there's going to be more <laughs> risk yeah. yeah. I think this would be a great show to binge watch, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I like what you guys are saying, because, I, I mean, as a, as a viewer, I get really frustrated by the shows that get canceled due to, like, the Nielsen's rating system, which is just completely archaic, and I, I don't know anybody who's ever had a box, so yeah. <laughs> what, what on earth does that say? Well, and it's, it's uh, few people that have boxes, but now they're being a little bit more flexible, where they're including, I think, the first seven days of DVR in yeah. total yeah, they amount of viewers. Yeah. They're coming around to it. But we're, also, it yeah. but, we're also, but we're also looking at this show as, as not just the fans of genre television or steampunk fans, but at its core, Lantern City is really a, a simple love story. Sort of the core question of the show is, how far would you go to be with the person that you love the most? Yeah. It's about three people from our world that get transported to this alternate Earth, this huge world um, where Lantern City is sort of the central point. And they're not together either. I would go that Yeah, way. they all... they all... separately land there, and now they've got to be... And I, what I love is the question we've often posed, too, uh, that we meet them in this world, and today, modern America, and is this the real person here, or when they get there and they, they don't none of the rules that they grew up with they knew apply and they have to survive that is that who they really are you know what I'm saying you, yeah. I think you brought this up in well I, you know I like to say things. that each character if you would boil them down generically who they are here present day America and then you see what they have to become it's almost the opposite yeah. and so even though they're working to either get back together get home are they the same people? Can they ever go back home? What would happen if after years of being there and having to change so much and then being placed back into their quote-unquote normal lives, what is that going to do to them? Right. Well, they're not going to be the same. There's no, no you can't be. It's, it's almost like going to war or something like that. You're exactly. going to be the same. That's very interesting. I didn't realize that if the fish out of water story was a component as well, and that's mm-hmm. a heck of very a much fish so. out of water very story. Much so. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is. Okay. And I think we just have a great look to it. We've got these great artists, section studios we must mention. Yeah. Come up with some really incredible concepts. They're a concept uh, development company. Cecil Kim and, uh, and Justin Yoon are the two lead artists, and um, they've done all of our concept work for us, all of our character designs for mm-hmm. some of the actors that are attached, Mira Furlan, Raphael Sabarge, John Reese davies uh, Tony Amendola, Gigi Edley, who is in Farscape. So they've done these great character costume designs. We're continuing to just build all of the elements of this world so that, you know, when we're ready to go to production, which probably will be next year, we'll be in a really, really good place. So seriously, what I've seen so far, like I said, like kind of baffling the scope that you guys are approaching. Um, and that's really <laughs> exciting because, I mean, the steampunk fan community has been growing steadily for the past decade. Absolutely. And what you guys are doing involving the community directly, it's such a, a genre that's been created by the fans, appropriating so exactly. many different things exactly. that it's a really interesting alternative way to do it. And I understand that fans can actually submit concepts to you guys. Mm-hmm. How does that process work? So we basically have a, a forum that's set up on our website, lanterncitytv.com, and you can go to the workers' forum and submit you, you know, photos of your prop designs, lighting designs, weapons, costumes, whatever it is that you create. I mean, like you said, the, the steampunk community is such a great maker community of artists, and everybody's so imaginative that we wanted to highlight that. So having a place on the website that you, know, you can submit these designs, once we go into production, the best of the best will use in the show itself. So maybe uh, Mira Furlan's character, Martha Ellen Gray, maybe she will have a brooch on that some 
fan of the show has designed. <laughs> wow. And we'll highlight that. You know. Yeah, and we'll highlight that, and then we'll be able to show that on the website as well so mm-hmm. that we can uh, highlight those artists. I like to sort of think of it as sort of a multinational uh, steampunk gallery space that we're creating. So well. you guys aren't taking the concepts and running. You're actually like, this was designed by this person. Exactly. It, All the artists retain their own rights to it. We're not manufacturing anything. We're not, yeah, not going to be ripping them off. Not even, but that was a big question in the beginning because it is and, a, it's, and a, it's an honest one. It's a unique concept. It's yeah. kind of a, you know, the lawyer said, you really don't want to do this. And I said, yeah, I really do. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a re- and that was always hand in hand. I was a little dodgy about it at first, too. <laughs> the first thing that goes, uh, you know, so they're going to lawyer up. Yeah. Well, you've used my product and uh, now I want my money. Yeah. Right. You know. But it's well, just a way to highlight and showcase these artists. Yeah, it's not yeah. storylines and characters, so I think it's a little easier. Yeah, we're not so gadget and that type oriented. Right. I think fashion, certainly costuming, is going to be a great deal to do because that adds to what, who the character is. Mm-hmm. And it's those intricacies and why close off the imaginative doors of everybody that's out there. We're, we're, we're using that. You know, we're, we want everybody to build it together. So uh, when it comes to steampunk, when was the first time each of you discovered that genre and what's been your favorite component of it thus so far? I would say... Um, Far back is when I read Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea as a boy. Nice. And any of the H.G. Wells, you know, War of the Worlds, um, these type of things. Those were the sort of the godfathers of steampunk. But I might add also that our version, we, I think it's open to interpretation. It's a, it's a broad canvas. Certainly, steampunk. What is it? You know, everyone has their version. Yeah. You know, ours is not the jocular, uh, pith-helmeted men with big mustaches going off into the jungle to save fair maidens with ray guns and things like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Flying in dirigible right. ships to get there. That has sort of a humor-esque, uh, mocking kind of feel to uh, Victoria. Ours has is got is a little darker and a more serious edge to it. Too. Yeah. Absolutely. And we have, the nice thing is, we have these three stratas of society. Yes. The ruling, yes. the ruling class, the gray empire, so we can highlight a specific look of steampunk in yeah. that class. Yeah. We have our worker class, so we can have sort of that look, and then we have an underground, this growing sort of rebellious underground, and that's when we can really get crazy and put in the mm-hmm. spider hands and the, you yeah, know, yeah, anything well, else we want to, <laughs> we want to think of and, and have, what uh, people think of Thomas too. Thomas Williford and yeah, his Brute Force. Brute Force Studios. He's one of our creative collaborators. We have several creative collaborators that we're that we're working with mm-hmm. um, on the steampunk side, uh, Tom Williford, Tom Spanwell, who designed our Lantern City Guard helmet and mask, which is sort of the first official prop of the show. Mm. Doctor Grimm has also been a, been a help along with Art Donovan. So we've had you know we have artists that are currently working, top artists that are steampunk in their field, helping us so that we don't go off the rails. We don't want to be the guys that screw <laughs> up, that you know, the, the exactly yeah, the, like the, the Hollywood yo-yos that killed the genre. Yeah. Best I can recall, this is the first major thing produced in Hollywood under the banner of steampunk. Correct. There are some others, and I think that's good. Um, they're starting to show. I think I think steampunk's time has come. Right. To finally break mainstream. But nobody's really done it. It's, you know, there's little elements of it, but nobody's sort of fully gone in on this is (laughs) steampunk. And, you know, for me, I mean, to answer your question, for me, you know, I wrote a story, sort of visual novella when I was in college about a clockwork robot. And that's sort of what got me involved and interested in sort of from things from a visual standpoint. I always liked it. I didn't Um, even know what to call it. But when I saw it, I was always fascinated because I'm a history buff and that's an incredible time of history and an alternate history. Yeah. You know. I used to read a lot of Harry Turtledove and all those current uh, people. Yeah. So you know what I'm saying? We, yeah. we all kind of came to a different direction. So when, as soon as when Trevor came to me about this thing and that helped develop this thing, uh, as soon as he said a steampunk thing, I was on. He had me at steampunk. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. <laughs> yeah, Bruce, when did, you, when did you get involved in this project? Uh, what's it been, about two years ago now? Or yeah, a year, year, year and a half. Well, we hammered something up like 10 that. hours of ideas in, uh, my, at my place with... Um, yeah, it was a, it was a storyline that I had come up with a couple years back, and, and yeah, out. sort of honed it into something. And then Bruce and I were working on a pilot together. Um, mm-hmm. I was producing, and, and Bruce was one of the stars in, of the pilot, a comedy western called Smokewood, Nevada, and um, <laughs> sort of like a cross between Tombstone and The Office. Quite, <laughs> quite hilarious. Films like The Office. Yeah, too, quite thing. hilarious. And um, <laughs> I want to see that. And yeah, we do too. Um, <laughs> and so maybe look for Lifetime. So, um, but uh, strange. Stranger Things, yeah. So, <laughs> yes. Anyway, so, but we uh, so we worked together on this and came up with some additional concepts. Bruce helped build some other characters. We put sort of a package together, and then uh, I had worked with Matt years years ago um, on a, a project that we both won an Emmy for uh, called uh, Terran Tulsa. It was a documentary about the 1921 Tulsa, Oklahoma race riots of all things. Whoa. See how all these disparate things come yes. together, and then you <laughs> end up history, with this perfect too, team. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Was early, when was that? 1921. That's good. Yeah. So early enough, Post-fun. yeah. yeah. Post-fun. But then we brought, yeah, we brought Matt in, and <laughs> Matt really was our missing piece. I think. Um, and then, like we've said before, I've said it before. Then, uh, you know, this guy had the ability to the very things we were talking about. We were just just shooting out there and, and trying to figure out. He put it on paper. Yeah, I mean, it's you're reading my mind. You know? <laughs> uh, but no, I visually saw it. I mean, he and he obviously he brought his own take to it. But uh, the characters that we came up with, those three, uh, those first four, three, yeah. three, four characters, they're right on the money. So we're Captured in a, and put them, made them real. And Matt built out the world to we got a 40, wonderful pilot. Yeah, film. I mean, I built out the world so much that we need to have a prequel book. So, <laughs> and you, and you a said prequel book. You have a pilot filmed already for for no 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 no. We oh. have a wonderful pilot written. That's written. the script, okay. and we've yeah, got we have the first three, four, three, four episodes. Right. Yeah. Just to give a real taste yeah. of where that thing would go after the pilot, you know. But as we books help, I think they help still build an audience. This is the the background, the grounding of where did it come from, you know. And Rise will be as of this uh, this episode being put out available online, or by the time the episode airs, it should be on Amazon and in uh, specialty bookshops also. Very cool. Hopefully, this is the first of a of a trilogy of books that sort of lead us up to the uh, up to the series. And this book is about uh, Isaac Foster Gray, who created Lantern City. So the book takes place coming of age story. Yeah, a hundred years before the television series. So it gives gives viewers a really good uh, picture into it's, what's happening. It's always good to see um, a world created that has that much depth. 
depth to it. You yeah. got to. You got to. That's, that's and that was what Matt did. I mean, Matt mm -hmm. built so much on the front end, and then we started talking about we really need to get something out so that fans can really start to understand while we're building the show, can understand what this world is about. And Matt said, oh, by the way. <laughs> I just happened to have here seven different novels in the back the of my bag. Well, it's, well, it's he has true. a family. They never see him. Um, <laughs> they see me hunched over a computer. That's yeah, I remember Daddy was yes. this hunched figure that just sat in the corner. But with the book, we didn't want to have it a requirement that people need to read it to understand the series, but we wanted to have the world built out so that we would never run into the Star Wars episodes one through three dilemma. Where it's like, we're going to do the prequels now. And like, this doesn't feel like what it is, but these right. books feel so, like this is a natural building to the actual series. So it's real. I mean, it's fantastic fun to, to write. And to answer your question from a long time ago, um, I was also a Jules Verne fan as a kid, but uh, as I got a little bit older and I read The, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I think that mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. that really uh, keyed me back into or actually keyed me into what steampunk could be. So mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Matt, what do you think is the most dynamic and original aspect of Lantern City and, and this steampunk universe? That's a, that's a really great question. I mean, I think what we're just trying to do is take a very niche science fiction topic or subject and bring it to as many people as possible and that's why when I started writing it I avoided the terms technobabble so like the Star Trek thing oh, try to avoid technobabble <laughs> and try to avoid oversaturation of gadgetry and stuff so really as I say like if you would take the story and put it somewhere else in a non-science fiction setting it would still be awesome television or it would still be an awesome book but then when you add the science fiction elements it just brings in so many other things it's like three years ago I would never say my wife would watch a fantasy television series and her favorite show is Game of Thrones. And why is that? Because she loves the characters and the storylines and there happen to be some dragons and some, some you know, magic people coming out of vaginas. So it's like, okay. So this is cool. Wow. Like, I do have to go look at that. You're not caught up. You're not <laughs> caught up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think, another element. Yeah, okay. but I think that... We could have that in our... We could. We could. I don't mechanical we're, not, we're not having that we're happen. Having no, okay. <laughs> but, but the thing is, really wanting to... <laughs> To take, you know, make science fiction easy to grasp for accessible. Yeah, people accessible that wouldn't normally, you know, yeah, and where they wouldn't even think. And then also, like the larger goal is when people ask what is steampunk, they'll say it's Lantern City. That's it. Cool. So if people wanted to get involved, listeners and fans wanted to get involved, they would go to lanterncitytv.com. Sign up to be a citizen. And you can also go to our Facebook page and mm -hmm. our Twitter page as well. Lantern, on all of Lantern City TV is the Facebook page. Same thing for Twitter. And um, that's the thing that I think is the most important right now. We're not at a nice period of critical mass where we've got 120,000 Facebook fans. We've got 500,000 Twitter followers. We need to keep adding to those numbers because that's really where you'll find networks standing up at attention. And that's really a one of our cast members, Raphael Sabarge, said at, a, at another panel once, liking us, following us, it's a vote. You know, it's it's showing that it's telling network executives, I will watch the show, and yeah. that's the that's the most important thing right now, and also to buy Rise because I think everybody's <laughs> going to enjoy it, and the more we sell, the faster the show will get on the air, and the faster the other books will come out too. Yeah, so we just keep the story going. So uh, I've actually read the novel Rise, picked up a copy at uh, Comic Con, and we'll link to it where you can pick it up on this episode's page, along with all the other key links for Lantern City. Rise is, I wouldn't necessarily call it a novel, and I'm not really sure what the what the count for a, a novella officially qualifies as. It's an, it's an interesting thing that I've never seen before. It's just under 100 pages since they said that it's 26 images. The book itself is 121 pages. It's very much like an accessory to a show Bible for developing a series. Mm. 
what Matt wrote here it is a very good story with some cool characters and a lot of neat stuff happening. Nice. It's just not very well written, but I don't know exactly what his background is, but it's very, um, it has all the, the bullet points are there. Everything's there, but the structure of the story, the way it's written has a complete lack of uh, metaphor and uh, all the world building is very fact oriented. Everything's very bullet pointed in the story. Mm. Seems like it's meant to be like almost like a, a, a companion. companion. Yeah, like a, like a little handout right. for, before you get into the, uh, but what, the thick of it. What makes it awkward is that it's in the guise of being a novel. So mm. it just kind of feels sort of amateurish, which is too bad because he's clearly very good at what he does. Hmm. I think Rise is really neat. And if you like the concept of Lantern City, read it. It's a quick read anyhow. But just don't go into it expecting like a full-blown novel. It has like a framing device that then switches to a journal, but it's not written like a journal. If that's any kind of a clue as to how sort of imbalanced it is, the pieces mm. the pieces don't fit together. But the story and the characters and everything that's happening is really compelling. I want to see the television show that this book informs. In fact, I'd love to see the story of Rise committed to film or video of some kind. It's really cool. You see the um, pre-industrial age of this world happen, and it's, it's a very normal place, but then all of a sudden this technology shows up. And also you get the first hint of how there are sort of cross-dimensional rifts that cause sort of problems. Interesting. Um, That's cool. So, so do you think someone who wants to watch Lantern City should definitely read Rise? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I simply offer this caution going into it. And I think Matt's written a very cool story here. It's just very much a product of the television writing system. You know, once the drafts are in and once the story is blocked out, then the dialogue gets punched up by a bunch of different people and it all goes to the machine. You end up with a really solid product. This dictates the groundwork for a very cool show that uh, hopefully we'll see, because if you go to lanterncity.tv, you're going to see a lot of concept art that looks well beyond the scope of anything you've ever seen on television before. And I love that what they were talking about with uh, House of Cards, because mm-hmm. I loved watching that on Netflix, and it was amazing watching that uh, and seeing something of this caliber that really felt like it was Game of Thrones level of production on Netflix, something specifically just for a computer, mm-hmm. for internet. I'm excited that this might be the age that we're in where a show like Lantern City could get picked up by Netflix. I agree completely. Well, something that affects Heavy might also, I don't want to say be a benefit, but if you're dealing with a world that's stylized, you might be able to get away with more things without making it look fake, if that's making, if I'm making any sense. Game of Thrones isn't a good example because Game of Thrones feels so freaking real when you yeah. watch it. That's like a lot yeah. of physical stuff, whereas this, I don't want to go George Lucas on everybody, but it seems like you're going to need a lot of green screen. You're going to need a lot of CG models of airships and stuff like that. Totally. But it I think it just feels fake and forced. Yeah, but it, but it doesn't necessarily make it unfilmable is what I think I'm trying to say. Did anyone here see Sky kept in the world of tomorrow? I did. Yeah. I, Sky I, I, yeah. It was cool. Yeah, yeah, where it's that was, and I think that's kind of the thing. That, that's what I'm talking about. Where it's so, like it, the, the the aesthetic of the way it looks. Sky Captain was very, I don't want to say blurry, but you know, it had a glow to it. It had yeah, a very old fashioned look. Guess something that's so stylized that the um, completely computer generated component of it doesn't feel awkward. I, I yeah, guess like Speed exactly. Racer falls in the same. Yeah, right, uh, right. Category. Where it's just it's just part of the way they're telling the story, not just like oh, it's just crappy looking CG. It's like no, th- I'm sure they're well aware that you can have crappy looking CG, but the way you film it can make it look really cool right it's not like it's an asylum film no no no, no. <laughs> but sky captain's a great example because that was done like on a pc in someone's garage yeah like everything in sky captain was done in somebody's garage behind a green screen yeah and the green screen was like literally like 
the size of your living room wall. Like it was right. not. It was not a studio. It's like there's production stills of Jude Law and Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're like, oh look, there's a green screen. Then you cut to like the wide angle, and there's just like there's nothing beyond. It's just the wall. It's just the, the, the room is empty, and it's like, oh wow, that. How, how do I get Jude Law to be in my movie in my living room? Like it, it was so easy to do. Kay, you sent me a link to a Kickstarter that has been backed. Uh, can you explain this project? I was just scrolling through the Steampunk Facebook page because I follow it, and they had a link to this Kickstarter for a 1909 period film about cryptozoology, and it's just that... I love it. Keep Steampunk. going. <laughs> Steampunk cryptozoology does sound pretty awesome, I gotta say. There, when we went to GMX, there was that... Whole... Yeah, it was kind of like a pop-up exhibit of a, a traveling... I guess you'd call him a sculptor, a guy who designs an exhibit based around... Around, uh, steampunk technology. That's what I mean. Like, the, the steampunk isn't just a fictional world like Star Wars. Right. It can be whatever you want it to be. Like, it's, you know, we've already said, oh, it's like sort of Victorian era or whatever. That does narrow it down. But it's be- an atmosphere. It's yeah. not necessarily a thing. It's like a. It's not, a it's not one story. Right. It's, it's your story. I mean, because like uh, Victorian era, that's. That's Civil War era for America. Right. Hence Wild Wild West. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like how we were like praising sky captain but degrading wild wild west i'm not degrading i'm just saying it's it's probably the best example of steampunk some of the coolest things that i've seen of steampunk has actually been at burning man whenever i look through like burning man pictures like i have this house oh my god yes people like will take bicycles and turn them into like victorian manners and you're just like (gasps) how do Uh, are are you talking about space and time compression what exactly explain There's like a three story. I don't even know what the hell it's on. It's like a fucking sand crawler practically (laughs) like, but literally it's like a Victorian house that they drive around there. And it's got like a kitchen and it's got like a little foyer and everything. And it's just, it's incredible. I love the idea of really crazy Victorian mobile houses. You know, like I'll look online and look through all these like pictures and they go crazy. So we're going back to Howl's Moving Castle, Cauldron Punk. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's very much like it's, I don't want to say it's like steam powered, but they very use the steampunk aesthetic when they build some of these things. And it's just incredible. It's one of my favorite things. Interlocking cogs and penny farthings and uh, all that stuff well i think one of the houses i i think it was from a few years ago was actually had it was a bus but they had taken out the engine and put in like a steam engine like it was actually a steam powered i didn't think it went very far in the desert one would, one would, would not suspect yeah the power <laughs> yeah. the power tends to evaporate out there <laughs> but that was really cool and so that's that's pretty awesome there's an entire subsect of the maker community that that's like their specialty is steampunk they're pretty fucking out of their mind crazy it's just it's more the amount of effort you know that they put into it it. i mean jake von slatt for example i think he may or may not have actually been in i know he at least retrofitted a bus to stylize a completely steampunk he'll do stuff like actually replicate a type of forge used back in like the time period from scrap um steampunkify you know computers and keyboards and all sorts of stuff you're talking about the maker community steampunk is generally as far as you know props and such uh an aesthetic rather than a uh fun- but there a are some thing. inventors out there too are, that yeah. subscribe to the steampunk community all right so are, you, are john are you saying that this guy develops actual working 
steampunk devices? He does things like he'll make like steampunk computers and steampunk keyboards, steampunk lamps. He some does of the a stuff lot of he does it. is aesthetic, right? But right. some of it is actually fully functional, um, it, which is the crazy part about him. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're going to make a steampunk computer, then you have to go with uh, Babbage's difference engine number two, right? Right. And uh, incidentally, <laughs> that's, of course, to me, really like steampunk is the alternate reality where they actually built that thing and realized, holy shit, we can calculate stuff that we could simply never figure out before. The only and, Babbage's you know, I know sold me Secret of Mana in 1996 or no, whatever. Charles yes, Babbage yes. Uh, in Victorian England uh, with um, Ada Lovelace. Lady Ada. They theorized what would later become the concept of a computer. And that's okay, the I'm, differential. I'm, from, I'm familiar Lady with the, Ada, the first programmer. Yeah, I'm familiar with Lady Ada's work. It was, is, it was he was the person who came up with the idea of the differential engine and she devised what would be the first theoretical programming language. OK, gotcha. so that is, you know, uh, in the, the differential 1800s. engine. <laughs> that is straight up steampunk computer right there. <laughs> so, like, yeah. this is, so in reality, they basically thought up how a computer would think. Like Back a programming in the late language. 1800s. That's pretty cool. That's Using a good starting nothing point. more than just mechanics. He had the designs for this thing, but it was never built to completion. It's one of those so, things like where Da Vinci had a bunch of designs that he could never finish up like because, robots and airplanes because and he stuff. didn't have the technology to follow through with right. it. They had the same issue. The difference is, though, is that there are actually a handful of them that have actually been machined and created today, and they actually work. Hmm. You know, Da Vinci's helicopter would not have worked, right? Right. But like Babbage's machine, it just would have been fucking expensive as all hell because you have to machine each individual like complicated type of gear. I mean, you know, it's not like a standard shot part, right? They all have to be able to work together. You need absolute precision because it's a computer, you know, any noise in the signal and you get garbage. And they're really a beautiful thing to watch. It's just the most interesting and crazy thing as you see like all of these gears spinning together. I mean, it's like DNA helix shit going in there practically. But like, but like mean, what, now what do these things do? Up. Is is it just a computation machine? Like, basically. Is, it, is it just yeah. like a calculator? It's basically a massive calculator. Huh. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, with a programming language, you can make it do whatever, right? But yeah, the outputs all numbers. I mean, we don't have no computer screens back in 1800s. I mean, but I can't play Pong on it is what I'm saying. Like. You could play Pong if you didn't mind having to calculate where the ball was. I, <laughs> I, could, I could play a text-based adventure, right? Like maybe. But you this have is to back in the day. With... Back from numbers, though, and that'd be the problem. <laughs> you guys are sliding down into a sci-tech hole. And though it's been way too long since we had a sci-tech episode, we do need to wrap this yeah, episode. Yeah, I'm about to start rambling about von Neumann. We got to move forward. I want to say something about Lantern City, though. I am looking at these drawings and oh my God, I wish 3D TV was a real, like actual real, real <laughs> thing as opposed to like a figment of people's imaginations, because if they had the budget to actually render this shit, it would make people actually care about 3D. That's true. This is nuts. Uh, something, a private conversation John and I have been having lately is the fact that uh, 3D television is more or less on the dead side and not just because it's expensive. And yeah. not just because, you know, we're saying so because we're a bunch of douchebags or something. Uh, ESPN has dropped it. BBC has dropped it. And that's pretty much... Uh, all she wrote as it were yeah it's pretty impractical but i will have to say this my 3d stuff when i've been playing them video games my accuracy increases i just get better at it that's cool so yeah no i'm just saying like 3d isn't completely smoke and mirrors it's just so much better when you're actually interacting with it that's the only point 
If you're doing any like 3D work or 3D gaming, virtual reality, 3D glasses, all that stuff is actually really, really cool. And I personally cannot wait for the Oculus Rift to actually be like a real thing as opposed to a developer's trick. Right? We'll get there eventually. It's like the same thing with the movies when they have 3D movies that come out, whereas like Pacific Rim used it in such a way that it actually enhanced the story instead of being a detractor and annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not <laughs> like Grown Ups 2 3D. It's actually... Jesus, did that happen? No, no, no. It wasn't a 3D. <laughs> no. Thank God. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, surprised. It, anyway, we, we gotta we gotta put a bow on this Victorian collar here. Uh like brass bow that is impractical. <laughs> uh let's cut to some more music. Let's say Sayonara. Uh so what do you got for us, Hex? Well, uh based off the request of Mr. John West, we have Automatonic Electronic Harmonics by Steam Powered Giraffe. I believe Kay was the first to say we had to play Steam Powered. Well she said we had to play Steam Powered Giraffe, but he specifically requested that but song, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, it was like, dude, Steve Draft. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. If you want a nerdy show microsoft, this microsoft turned into a full episode, as Sorry. you can hear. Sorry, uh, I, I ain't apologizing. It was fun. So your microsode might win us over enough that we talk for longer than 15 minutes. But if you want a microsode, then you just have to support Nerdy Show. We're a listener-supported podcast and network, and we cannot exist without you financing us every month give us your money every hundred dollar mark is your opportunity to get in there and demand that we cover a topic the great thing about microsoft is you pitch us the topic and then some magic can happen you might get bruce boxleitner in your episode yep. it could happen <laughs> some, cal- awesome. some cauldron punk may occur i don't think you can beat that though <laughs> before we go we got to talk about some of those fabulous people who uh help keep nerdy show alive yay Ooh, you yeah. are defibrillators <laughs> We surpassed our baseline goal for July at uh, $406, and uh, that's thanks to Big Bad Shadow Man, Red Menace, Brent Brichard, Nathaniel Kraft, Vetus Clemency, Mauron, Matthew Shoemaker, Anna Barich, Mr. Jamer, James Altman II, Jeffrey Voss, Barry I, Kevin Weiss, who pitched the steampunk episode, Dr. Gamer Scientist, Zombie Pops, Hugh O'Donnell, Berto Elcon, and Anique Zimmer. Yay, all of you. And some thanks. of you. Thanks. Yeah, big, big thanks. <laughs> and uh, every little bit counts. And if you support us, well, we send you cool stuff in your email. And some of these cool people send us some messages. Matthew Shoemaker said, And then I heard that magnificent call echoing throughout the irradiated wasteland of an earth that once was, reverberating across the domain of the masters of old. Lightning dogs. Oh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> For a moment there, I thought it was going to turn into Night Vale. <laughs> You're listening to Night Vale. <laughs> He's one of the pack. Yeah, he, he is. There, there's, there's a lot of supporters of the pack here. For example, Berto Elcon, who said, uh, y'all don't go broke on me. I need those nourishing nuggets of nerdity. Also some lightning dogs. <laughs> Lone wolves no longer. <laughs> Kevin Weiss said, this is not nearly as much as I should give, but it's for everything, especially lightning dogs. Oh! Welcome to the pack. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Jamier said, I've been listening since fall of 2010 and telling everybody I can about you guys, which is great because word of mouth and uh, getting new people in a nerdy show is a good move. First time I can actually chip in long overdue. Thank you so much, man. It's good to have you with us all this time. James Altman II, who was in the audience of Nerdy Show Live. And if you haven't checked out Nerdy Show Live, it's on YouTube right now. You can just search for it, Nerdy Show Live. Or uh, find the episode page on nerdyshow.com. There'll be a link to it. It is our live experience in front of an audience (laughs) at a nerd bar. 
called the Geek Easy in Orlando. It was, it was something else. <laughs> uh, some uh, some crazy stuff happens. Galdap from D and D makes an in person appearance. Uh, we actually uh, this is something other Microsoft contributors can uh, can look forward to. We actually did a Microsoft live in front of an audience, and uh, when more Nerdy Show Live happens, that could happen to your topic. Just yep. saying. It could happen. Uh, we, we do plan on making that a staple for future Nerdy Show Lives. So this is the pilot episode. It's a bit rough around the edges, but... Um, a bit it, slimy around the edges as well. Yeah, slime. also slimy and crusty and everything you'd want from a show. Like, maybe. Most things Hopefully. you would want. Yeah. It's good. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Anyway, uh, James Altman said, Awesome shows, everyone. Keep up the good work. Jeffrey Voss said, I survived the Steam summer sale, so I'm tossing some cash your way. Thanks for great podcasts. Much love. Barry, I said, I've been catching up thanks to taking Calc 4 over at the community college. Having lost my job made it difficult to find time to listen. I missed you guys. Oh, is he punishing himself for losing his job by taking Calc 4? I'm just saying Calc Pro- 4 is yeah, hard. Props, props to them, man. <laughs> like, I, I tried advanced calculus and all I saw was toroidal coordinates and then I passed out. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Gamer Scientist said, my regular donation for both June and July. Keep up the good work, guys. Yay. And Zombie Pops said, boom, thanks for all the stuff you guys do. Love Zombie Pops. Yay, Zombie Pops. Hugh O'Donnell said, hey guys, swinging in for a last minute donation to say thanks for another month of great podcasting and thanks to Flame On for exposing me to my new podcasting nerd crush, Glenn Weldon. Winky face. (laughs) So yes, thanks to all of you awesome people for keeping us alive and uh, keep on keeping us alive. We need your love. We less than three, you. Yes. Less, we less than three you. Hex, we more than three you. We greater than three you. Anyway, bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Hex. Bye, I'm Doug. Bye, I'm Kristen. Bye, I'm John. Bye, I'm Kay. Here's Steam Powered Giraffe. Ka-chunk. Ever since the first time I opened my eyes, I've awakened to the same thing. Other automaton friends roughly built like me. The first time I opened my mouth to speak, a steam escaped to the air. And black oil dripped from my lips and onto the ground. When daylight struck a chord with my photoreceptors, night greeted me with the sea of stars. Our eyes will flash a blues and greens through the night. It's just our automatonic electronic harmonics. People are soaring, the hollow is exploring, higher than they've ever been before. But we are still down here, feet on the ground, kneel up, rise us up. With the rest, our thoughts are quixotic, stark and robotic, mechanical in nature all the time. And pulses are firing in our head, wiring, guiding all our actions and being. It's just our I don't have
skin is cold to the touch and made from the earth. They say, oh, oh, it's so down, but baby, it's sound. Makes your worries cease to pound. And oh, maybe it's all right, cause baby, it fights for some time just to be held tight. And oh, maybe it's not wrong, cause it sings a lovely song, one that drifts on for so long. And oh, Baby, let's not lie, its eyes are alive and pointed up, shining right to the sky. It's just our atomic tonic, electronic harmonic, epic, and so. What slave punk is? Oh God! Three hundred. Oh, no. The movie. <laughs> <laughs> I 
accurate. They used human beings for transportation. That you can't get any worse than no, that. That's, like, that's, <laughs> there you go. We we found we found slave punk. Hello, join the steampunk convention. Wait, no. Hey, <laughs> I've got a used car for you. <laughs> Take ninety six. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.